couple weeks ago when we dove into our, our message on a person of witness, um, I talked to you, I, I mentioned, and I kind of went through this, um, you know, that we're bringing the gospel. You know, if we're bringing a, being a person of witness, we're bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to people, right? And what is the gospel? Good news, right? That's what it means. It's the good news. It's actually good news. It's not bad news. It's actually good news. It's very good news. And so we have good news for the world. The church has good news for the world. Um, in, in many ways, perhaps, the church has not done a good job at presenting itself as an organization that actually has not only good news, but let me say it this way, the best news that there is. The best news that there is that you can have eternal life, that you can know your creator, that you can be brought back into right relationship with God, a God that you have, because of your sin, been alienated from. So I talked to you about the gospel in a nutshell. And I wrote, I put this all together so that you can have this and, and know this. I mean, because if you want to give someone the good news, you need to be able to succinctly know what the good news is. You need to know what it is. And so we're going to go through this just briefly, um, and we're going, to, we're going to look at these verses of Scripture. And so I'm going to ask for some, some Scripture readers. So I need, I need two Scripture readers for point one. Who can um, be ready to go with Romans 3.23? Who will do that? Dan? Okay, Dan. And when you want to take um, Romans 6.23? Okay. And then I need for point two, who will be ready with John 3.16? Anyway, Sierra right here. And then who will be ready with Isaiah 53.5? Okay, Everett back here. All right, and number three, who will be ready with Acts 2.38. Jacob, all right. And then Romans 10, 9, and 10. Who will be ready with that? All right, Reuben here. And the number four point, who will be ready with Acts? And this is a bigger section. Acts 2, 42 through 47. Who will take that? Right here? Got it. It's you. All right. So let's take a look at this. This is the gospel in a nutshell. Now, obviously, there's, there's you know, you can, it's, it's simple. The gospel is simple, but it's complex. And, and honestly, that's the beauty of the gospel. The beauty of the gospel is that, well, there's, there's many beauties to the gospel, but perhaps a angle of the beauty of the gospel is this, that it's simple that you can explain it to a small child. And it's complex enough that a man or a woman could give the rest of their lives to the study of it and not exhaust the, 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 the largeness and the, the, the magnificence of it. And so that's a pretty incredible thing, really, when you think about it. So we're going to take a look at this in kind of its encapsulated form. Um, the gospel in a nutshell. Okay, here's number one. Every person is a sinner and has fallen short of God's glory. 
And because of this, every person is in a desperate situation, deserving total separation from God, who is light, and from him flows all that is good. So we're going to read Romans 3.23. Who had that? Dan? Uh, Stand up. Everybody stand up, because I want you to project it with a good kind of voice and um, read your verse. Okay, Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now this is, this, is, this is a verse that every person should know, right? This is part of what they call Romans Road. There's, a, there's the Romans Road to salvation, and I think this is the first stop. This is mile marker number one on the Romans Road to salvation, and it is this. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory. <clears throat> fallen short of the glory, you know? There's, there's many different ways to put that. I remember when I played golf with a friend and we'd, be, we'd hit some nice tee shots out in the middle of the fairway and then we'd come up to our next ball and you know you envision when you walk up to that second shot, right, on a par four, you envision, you follow me right now on golf? Okay, you with me? You're coming up in the fairway to that second shot and you just envision kind of just really kind of hitting that thing clean, getting it up there, nice kind of high thing that just kind of just sits down on the green, right? So my friend got up there and just really kind of hit, just, this, just hit it fat. You know, just hit, that's when you just get a lot of dirt. You know, you just, it's, that's called hitting it fat. And you hit it fat and it just, it kind of just bounced and just not quite to the green. Short of the glory. <laughs> okay? Short of the glory. Short of the glory. And that's kind of how it is for us. The idea of sin in the Bible is harm, the, the Greek word there is harmatia. And it actually means to miss the mark. To fall short, to miss the mark. It's, it's actually a term used in, it, it's kind of like the idea of like an example, a perfect example is like an archery. You know, where you're, 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 you're kind of aiming at this target, right? And you miss the mark. You don't, and, and not only did we not hit the bullseye, this is how bad it was for us. We didn't even hit the thing. <laughs> Anybody ever do archery? Anybody? Yeah, yeah. It's hard, isn't it? It's a lot harder than it looks. These people that just, you know, these people in the Olympics and stuff that do this, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty incredible. But not only did we not hit the bullseye, we didn't even hit the target at all, okay? We have fallen short of the glory. We have sinned against the holy God. Now let's pick it up in Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal So, yes, and so the, the wages of sin, the penalty, the, 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 you know, the wages, it's kind of like, you know, that's, we know wages is pay, right? So, like, what, and this is according, according to the promise and the command, Right? You say, well, oh, God's not fair. The wages of sin is death. Why, why should we get paid death for sin? Well, that's exactly what he said was going to happen when man, he says, in the day that you eat of it, the tree that is in the midst of the garden, the one that I've commanded you not to eat of, the day, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, they didn't physically keel over and die, so what happened? There was a spiritual death. There was a spiritual death, and that's why Jesus came on the scene and said, you must be born again. 
You, you've been born physically. You need to be born spiritually. You need to be born again into the kingdom. And so because of sin, we've received death. We've received that separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life, is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So how did God make this eternal life available to us? God sent his son, Jesus, into the world, number two, to take upon himself the punishment for our sins. Jesus willingly became the sacrifice for our sins so that we could be forgiven of our sins and have a relationship with God through Jesus. Who's got John 3, 16? Sierra? Okay. Amen. This is, it's perhaps the most famous verse of scripture in all, in all the Bible. Second only to Matthew 7, verse 1. Judge not lest you be judged. <laughs> Everybody knows that and loves to quote it when as soon as you bring up something that, make, that might speak to their behavior in some way. But um, for God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. His one-of-a-kind son, really, in, in, the, in the language there in John. His one-of-a-kind. He's, he's a one-of-a-kind. There's, there's no one else like Jesus. He's one-of-a-kind. And, and, and God gave the son to the world because he loved us. And the gospel is love. The gospel is the, is the love of God that came to deal with the problem that we talked about in number one, the separation that, that man has from God. Um, so this is the love of God, right? Now, the, you know, we, we just had the royal wedding, right? And, and, and the preacher, Robert Curry, got up and preached a long sermon for a royal wedding. They thought he was going to go about five minutes. I guess he went 13 minutes. And that's a long time in the context of a royal wedding. But he brought a message about the love of God. And he talked about the sacrificial love of God. Um, and, and, and it was worked out in the son. In what we just read in John. That he gave the son. The son came and, and, and died on the cross. He gave his life. And, and so... Um, you know, there's John 3, 16 that Sierra just read. And then there's 1 John 3, 16. There's the Gospel of John 3, 16. And then there's the Epistle of John, 1 John 3, 16, which is equally uh, important. And it says this. And I think this is where, um, I think it was Foreigner. Foreigner should have read this verse before they wrote their song. Um, this is how we know what love is. <laughs> that Jesus Christ laid down his life for, his, for us and we ought to lay down our lives for one another, right? Remember, I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. Thank you, Jesus. You showed us what love is. This is how we know what love is. That Jesus laid down his life yes. for us. 
It's a powerful love. It's an amazing love. We sang about it already, the amazing grace, the amazing love. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. A wretch. I, for, I forget who I was listening to one day, and they said that they were singing that song, and he was a little boy, and he said, Mama, what's a wretch? I said, that's what we are. We <laughs> a wretch is a sinner, a person who's fallen short of the glory. And God loved us. Even, even in our position of having fallen short of the glory, it was like we, we missed the mark, we, we fell short of the green, and the Lord said, I'm going to come in and I'm going I'm to deal with the situation. I mean, it was much, much worse than not hitting the green on your second shot. This is spelled out for us in advance of what Jesus would do in, in, in the prophets, and very specifically in Isaiah 53. Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53 talks about the suffering servant that would come. Who had Isaiah 53, 5? Who's going to read that? Everett. Go ahead and read that for us. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. So he, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Our transgressions? What is sin? Can anyone here, besides missing the mark and the harmony and the Greek word, can anyone just simply define it? Iniquity. Iniquity. <laughs> I love it. Yes, that's right, buddy. It is iniquity. Um, it's a transgression of the law. Paul's definition, if you would have asked the Apostle Paul, it would have been this, a, a transgression of the law. When you transgress the law, you've, you've, you've broken the law. You've, 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 you're like Judas Priest, you know? You've broken the law. And, um, yeah. I was going to say it's like breaking a contract. Mm -hmm. In the beginning, it's such a beautiful story of restoration. In the beginning, a contract was broken. How are we going to restore that back to this relationship with God? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so we've, we've had a transgression. We've had, as, 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 uh, Luke said, iniquity, iniquity, this is all sin. And, and you know, Jesus dealt with two kinds of sin when he died on the cross. Because if you look at the Levitical sacrificial system, there were, there, there were the five sacrifices, right? Two, there were two of them. One was called a, um, a sin offering. The other one was called a, I believe, a trespass offering. And one of them dealt with sins that you, did, that you committed that you didn't even know. So you say, well, I didn't even know I was a sinner. I didn't even know that, that I broke the law. I didn't even know that this specifically was, I was a lawbreaker. He died on the cross for that too. For the sins of omission, the sins of commission, the sins where we knew, the sins where we didn't know. Every which way we broke the law, every which way we transgressed the law of God. He, he took that, so he took that upon himself, right? There's a scene in the trial of Jesus when he was standing before Pilate. 
And here Pilate is really trying to, to get Jesus off. He's, he's, he's really trying to, to let him go, right? And the crowds say it, you know, yelling and all this. And so kind of feeling kind of backed into a corner because of just the unrest of, of the situation, the, the, the Roman authorities kind of over him, that he didn't want the thing to kind of blow out of proportion uh, with this, you know, with an uprising or whatever. He's backed into a corner and he says, okay, ha, you know, have him scourged. Have him scourged. So they take Jesus away and they flog him, they scourge him, Right? They, 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 they take him, if you've seen the Passion, raise your hand if you've seen the Passion. Raise your hand if you haven't seen the Passion. That'd be, but okay. You haven't seen it? Oh, okay. You need to see it. Um, there's a, this, one of the, the scene uh, where they take him away to flog him, and, and, and you know how they would flog people. They had these, these cat of nine tails that had the, the leather straps with the, all the different, you know, things, the metal, pieces of metal that would literally just come back on the back and just rip the flesh open. And, and Jesus was beaten. And his flesh was just, his, the, the flesh of his back was just ripped open and just in, 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 in shreds and just the blood pouring out. And I remember one of the reviews of The Passion that came out, and I actually wrote, when I, back when I blogged, I, I used to have a blog, and... Um, and I blogged about this review that had come out about the passion, and I think it was like from CNN or Time Magazine or one of it. And, 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 and here was the headline. The passion of the Christ is too bloody. Right? Can you see the fallacy in that, in that, in that observation? That was the point of the passion. He came and shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus said, this is my body. This is the cup of the new covenant of my blood shed for the remission of sins. Yes. Right? He shed his blood. He, and, and, and the law told us that life was in the blood. And so the shedding of blood was the giving of his life for you. And so when the, Isaiah says that he, he bore you know, the, 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 the punishment of our peace, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, was placed upon him. And so here's the picture. When he comes back from the scourging, they place a, a robe. A, 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 it's, a, it's kind of a, it's a red robe. It's a, it's a scarlet robe. And you see this in Matthew. If you read the crucifixion account in Matthew, you see this. Really, where he's literally taking the, the 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 sins, the scarlet sins, upon him. It's it's just literally like, you know, you think how 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 can this be? How can this be laid out? What Jesus has done here? He is being flogged, his blood pouring down. He comes back. He's put a crown of thorns on his head, and he's wrapped in this scarlet robe. Here he is, King of the Jews, right? Wrapped in the the the, the chastisement, the the, the, the pun, our our sins and the burden of our sins were placed upon him. He went to the cross, literally with the sins of the world being wrapped around him. The scarlet, and that's why Isaiah said, "Though our sins be like scarlet, they will become white as snow." Right? 
And so he goes to the cross and he takes the chastisement of, of our peace upon him. And, and, and that's, the, that's the, the beauty of the gospel. That's the love of the gospel. That, that, that's, where, that's where we didn't get what we deserved. Right? And you know the difference between mercy and grace. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And so we didn't get what we deserved. Jesus got what we deserved, which was death. We got what we didn't deserve, the grace of God, in that he gave us life. He gave us forgiveness. He gave us right standing with him. Number three. If you will repent of your sins and believe upon Christ Jesus, you will be saved. Acts 2.38. Who had that one? All right, Jacob, stand up. Read it. So this is really where Peter answers the crowd. You know, he preaches this sermon on the day of Pentecost, right? And the crowd, it gets to the end of the sermon, and the people yell out to him, what, okay, what should we do? What should we do? His response was that verse that, that Jacob just read. Repent. Repent. What does it mean to repent? It's a word that we hear all the time. It's a word that... It's been batted around and this and that and whatever, and people have put it on billboards and placards and all kinds of stuff. But what does it mean to repent? Repentance, as far as I know, as far as I've, I've looked at it, is, it's, it's, it's really a change of mind. It's a change of mind. It's a change of direction. People have described it as kind of you're walking in one way. You're walking, as Paul said in Ephesians, you're walking according to the course, the pattern and the course of this world. You're walking in that direction. To repent is to say, you know what? I, I'm, not, I'm not walking in that direction anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to turn and I'm going to walk with the Lord. I, I'm going to accept. I'm going I'm to realize that, that he has a different life for me, and I'm going to walk in that, that life. Um, there's an idea with repentance of of kind of giving up on that, that former life, the, the former you, the old you, the one that didn't love God, the one that didn't trust God, the one that, that did just, you were the captain of your own ship, so to speak. And you turn from that and you say, I'm going to trust God for the rest of my life. I'm going to live for God. I'm gonna, I, I may not be perfect all along the way, but you know what? I'm going to, from this moment forward, I'm going to live for God. And that's why when we baptize people, we ask them, you know, have, have you forsaken all other, all, every other God? Have you, have you forsaken all the other gods? You said the gods? Yeah, the gods. The gods and the God of this world, the God perhaps even of yourself. Perhaps, we, you know, in, in our own pride, we make a God of our own selves. And so 
And, and, and actually, Michael Heiser actually teaches it this way, that actually water baptism is spiritual warfare. <laughs> because it's a declaration of what we are saying and what has happened in our life. It's a declaration that says we've renounced the kingdom of darkness, we've renounced our former life, and we've accepted Christ, and we're embracing him, and we're following him for the rest of our... And so it's a notification. It's a public decree to not only anyone who would see, anyone who would hear about it, but it's a public declaration to the principalities and powers and the, and, the, and, the, and the darkness of this age that says, I'm going to live for God and I'm walking in this direction and I repent. And that, that's, it's spiritual warfare. It's spiritual warfare. And I love that. I love that because it is a declaration to, this, to, the, to the principalities and powers. And then, it, it, you know, a lot of people, when you talk about repentance, they would probably bring up this idea of, of sorrow, right? Of a godly sorrow. You know, and there's two kinds of sorrow that the Bible talks about. There's, a, there's, a, there's, there's sorrow. It's like a worldly sorrow. It's kind of like, a, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I got caught. You know, I'm, I, I'm sorry things turned out this way. And then there's a godly sorrow. The, the, the two types of sorrow are pictured in two of the disciples. The, the, the worldly sorrow is, is pictured in the life of Judas because, because he, 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 he betrayed the Lord. He, he literally, with the kiss in the Garden of Gethsemane, he, the kiss was to identify to the chief priests and elders the Christ, the, the Jesus of Nazareth. And in that kiss, he betrayed Christ. And when, when, when he had realized what he'd done, remember what he did, he had took in the, taken the 30 pieces of silver and he, and he, just was sorry, but it was a worldly sorrow. And he went out and hung himself, went out and killed himself, right? But then you have Peter, who was told by the Lord, before you hear the rooster crow, you will deny me three times. Can you imagine? This was the apostle that, got, that the Lord Jesus had told him, uh, he was the one who correctly answered the question, who do you say that I am? Right. <laughs> and remember that in Matthew 16, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, you know, you're, you're blessed, Simon, son of Jonah, for this has not been revealed to you by flesh and blood, but it's been revealed to you by my Father in heaven. And, 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 and you will be Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. After that, he's telling them, look, before the rooster crows three times, you will deny. And of course, that came to pass. His Galilean accent had given after, after the arrest and the arraignment of Christ, there he was warming himself by the fire and his, his accent betrayed him. It's a, it was a shibboleth, right? His accent gave him away. Oh, you, you, you're a Galilean. You, 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 you're, you know Jesus. You're, you're, you're with Jesus. No, 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 I don't know who you're talking about. I don't, I've never known him. 
I've never known him. Denied him three times. And then the rooster crows. And Peter goes out and has, and just is sorrowful. And it was after the resurrection that Peter's sorrow brings him back and, and the Lord reinstates him and brings him back. And, and he, you know, that whole, and we don't have time to go, to go through it all, but you know, that, you know, it's, it's that morning, it's, it's the morning where Jesus fixes breakfast for the disciples, that beachside cafe <laughs> of Christ, right? Beachside, right? Not, not, not this beachside, but, but the Galilean beach there on the Sea of Galilee. He fixed him breakfast, and then, of course, he, he reinstates Peter. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? You know, Jesus, he denied Jesus three times. Peter, Jesus asked him, do you love me three times? There's this pattern of three times, and, and it was this, as if Jesus was kind of letting him know, no, I, I'm, I'm bringing you back. You're, you're, you're back in right relationship with me. And so let's move on because we've got to wrap this up. Romans 10, 9, and 10. Who had that? Romans 10, 9, and 10. Was that you, Reuben? Yes. Go ahead. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with your heart, one believes and is justified. And with your mouth, one confesses and is saved. The, the passage leads up, the passage in Romans 10, as it leads up to that, it, and Paul is actually explaining to the Romans how close it is that the Lord is to them. Well, how close is he? You say, well, I'm far away and I don't know God and whatever. Let me tell you how close he is to you. He's right here. If you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. Confess. Confess that Jesus is Lord of your life. He's Lord. Jesus, you're Lord. It's interesting that he said, he didn't say, confess that Jesus is the Savior of your life, right? Although he is, right? But he said, confess the Lord Jesus. Confess that Jesus is Lord. You're confessing that you have an allegiance from that moment forward, you, you, are, you are pledging allegiance to, to the Lord and saying, I'm with him. I'm with the Lord. And you'll be saved. You'll be saved. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you believe in your heart, if you confess him with your mouth, and it's not, a, it's not really a, and I say this all the time, it's not, a, it's not an exercise in linguistics. It's not, there's not magic words. It's, oh, you say Jesus is Lord and you're saved. No, it's, it's you confessing, that confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. Amen? Now, the last part, and we've just got a few minutes to wrap this up. Now you're saved. Now a person has been brought back from the depths of their sin and having fallen short of the glory and, and just the, the, the separation 
from God. They've been, they've been brought back. Their sins have been forgiven. Repentance has been realized. Confession of faith in the Lord has been made. And now, number four, now what, what, what do you need to do? What does that person need to do? They need to get plugged into a Bible teaching fellowship of believers for the purpose of growth, discipleship, fellowship, worship, and ministry. Who has Acts 2, 42 through 47? Logan, yeah, go ahead and read that loud for me. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all that believed were together and had things common. And they sold their possessions and goods Amen. Amen. This is actually, if you, if you have a, a Bible that has like where it kind of gives a kind of a heading, it, it will say over this past, this particular group of verses, it'll say the fellowship of believers. Any, anybody's Bible say that? The fellowship of believers. It's, it's kind of like there's a di- few different ways to look at it because you have the, the, the book of Acts that's kind of moving along from the ascension to the upper room, the day of Pentecost, Peter's sermon, those who were being saved on the day of Pentecost, 3,000, of course, right? 3,000 died the day that Moses came down and with the tablets, the law. Remember, and he came down, and there were those that, you know, the wickedness of the, of, the, of the golden calf and all that. And remember, and we talked about this, I believe, a couple weeks ago on, on, on uh, Sunday, Saturday night, when we talked about uh, Simeon and Levi and the atrocity that they did there with uh, the Canaanites and Shechem. Uh, but it was on that occasion that the Levites uh, actually executed the judgment of the Lord as Moses brought that. Um, and so 3,000 died the day the law was given. 3,000 were saved the day the church began. And then, so then you have this 3,000 saved, and they're there from all over the place, right? They're there from all over Europe. God-fearing Jews from all over the place. Read the first few verses of Scripture in, the, in Acts 2, that, where Luke lists all the places that they were from, right? Because they had come in for the holy feast of, of Shavuot or, or Pentecost, right? The Feast of Weeks. So 3,000 are saved. And, and, and then it says in verse 42, and they continued in the apostles' teaching and in the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers, right? And so who, who was it that was doing this? The, the, the people that just were saved. What did they do? Well they, they, well, they were sat under teaching of the word from the apostles. They were involved in prayer. They were involved in fellowship. They became a part of the, of the body, you know. And, and, and they shared. They broke bread from house to house. They had, they had this commonality with the people of God now 
because they had all been saved. They had all been, um, been born again. And, and so they, they were growing in, in Christ. They were the church. They were the called out ones. They were the fellowship. And so that's where we, we need to be plugged in. And I say a Bible teaching fellowship. Um, and you say, well, what's a Bible teaching fellowship? What's a Bible teaching? Because there's a lot of churches, right? A lot of churches. But they're not all Bible teaching. <laughs> they're not all Bible teaching. And I'm just going to take one minute and explain this and then we'll be done. What's a Bible teaching church? This is how I see it, okay? There's a lot of places where the pastor has something to say, right? Come and listen to me because I have something to say. I have crafted an unbelievable message that will just bless you, right? You'll be tweeting it. Facebooking it. You'll be doing all kinds of stuff. Okay? A Bible teaching church, the pastor comes at it from this pre pre premise. God has something to say. <laughs> God has something to say, and I'm simply the messenger of the word that he has delivered to us, and I'm going to close with one verse of scripture that explains the whole thing. And so I need one more helper. Luke, come here. With your thing. Nehemiah 8.8. 8. Turn to it. Nehemiah 8.8. 8. See how quickly you can do it. Do, 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 do. Nehemiah 8 8. Nehemiah. Here. Can you read it out loud, real loud for the people? So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. So. They read distinctly from the book of the law of God and helped the people understand the reading. That's basically what we do <laughs> in one verse. Read it distinctly. Explain it with love and passion. And let God's word go forth. Because, see, God has a message. God has a message. And, uh, and that's a Bible teaching church. What happens is, and not all churches, but what can happen in a church that doesn't come at it from that premise, you can eventually drift away until you get into doctrine that you, you're, you're so far out here that you, you, you've, you've left the doctrine. You've left the teaching. You know, Paul says, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for doctrine and and, you know, what? Useful for doctrine. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching. But if you get away from the, the word, if you get away from the teaching of the word, then you end up here with doctrine that's your doctrine. It's not God's doctrine. And that's when you get into, like, these aberrations and you get into this, you know, all, all, all this stuff out here.
So this is the gospel.